This is a good night to rejoice. I don't know about you, but I think it's a good day to rejoice. Uh, thank God for the truth. Thank God. Let me read this to you real quick. Yeah, I guess you can sit down on the outside, but it's a good night to rejoice. He said in Psalms chapter 8, verse 2, out of the mouths of babes, you have ordained praise or strength, actually, but Jesus translated it as praise in Matthew when he quoted it, because of your enemies. He said the reason you got, you, God has ordained or he has designed your mouth to release praise unto God is because of the enemy. He said that it might silence the enemy and the avenger. Glory to God. I always tell people this. Either the devil will silence you or you will silence him. It's one way or the other. You say, well, I just don't feel like it. Well, that's he doesn't really care what the reason is. He just prefer you not use your voice as an avenue to express your praise to God. Boy, doesn't that make you just want to use it more? Yeah, boy, it does me. He says, uh, like when your parents tell you to shut up when you were little and you were like... Duh, duh, duh. In 1 Peter 4, 12, he said, Beloved, don't think it's strange, the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. <laughs> but rejoice! Woo, glory to God. He said, don't think it's strange because you got trouble. He said, just rejoice. You know, I, you're waiting for the trouble to stop, but the trouble's waiting for you to rejoice. 1 Peter 1, 6 says, rejoice. We, we rejoice. Oh, I, this, that's such a good one. Uh, I will go back to that one later. Psalms 119, verse 162 says, I rejoice at your word as one who has found a great treasure. Now, that's a good one. You know what he's saying? He says, your word, I read in your word that you are the Lord that healeth me. And I rejoice at that word just like I got that word. In other words, it's just I found a great treasure. That word, I don't have to, you say, well, I don't know how to, I don't know how to act in faith. I don't really know. Well, just act like you would if you had it. And just rejoice about it like you have found a great treasure. I mean, just rejoice over it. You know, I, I know it sounds silly, but it will, I'm telling you, it will cause the bands and the, the chains of bondage to fall off of you and you won't even be able to explain it. You'll be just like, you know, is it Paul and Silas at the midnight hour in Acts 16? Yeah. And they began to sing praise unto God at yeah. midnight. And the, all the prisoners heard him. And, you know, the Bible says there was a great earthquake and all the prisoners' chains fell off. I can't imagine. You know, I tell people that was the first jailhouse rock. <laughs> And, you know, I bet nobody could explain that. I bet they weren't on a fault line except for the fact that they had a, somebody in that prison who had, a song, who had a song of praise in their heart. And, you know, I always tell people this. If you sing in prison, you won't stay in prison. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Woo. So I don't know where you are tonight, but I do know that God has ordained strength or praise out of your mouth to still the enemy Oh, I don't know what's trying to stop you, but I know you can stop it with a song of praise. That's well, true. He says, it's I true. love this. First Chronicles 16, 10. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Psalms 5, verse 11. Let all those who trust in God rejoice. Let them shout for joy. Psalms 32, verse 10 and 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Is that good? You say, well, you can rejoice, you can be glad, you can shout. It's all appropriate behavior for someone 
who knows their who knows their God. And it's all a demonstration of the Satan's defeat. Amen. Psalm 68, verse 3, let the righteous be glad. Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Now that's good. Just a little bit will do you. Well, I don't know. You might need another dose. I just think you might need another dose. Romans 12, verse 11 says, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The Living Bible says, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Brother Hagen always used to say, the word will work for you when you get thrilled with it. When you get thrilled with it. In other words, when you get so, so enthusiastic and so wrapped up in the word of God that anything else that's got you wrapped up just cannot hold you. It's true. You know, we don't have to make anything happen. All we need to do is let it happen. Just get yeah, together in one, you know, get together in one accord. And I don't mean a Honda. Get together and just let it out. Let the praises of God fill your life. It says, Proverbs 28, verse 12. You can, you can, anytime you want. When the righteous do rejoice. I love this. This is one of my favorite ones. When the righteous, when the righteous do rejoice, there is great glory. Woo. How many of y'all believing for greater glory? Then don't be, don't be greater glory. Don't greater be, glory. Don't be shy about rejoicing. Greater glory. That word fervent. Oh, greater glory. When he says be fervent in spirit, mm-hmm. be fervent. One translation says uh, be a glow and burning with the spirit. Uh, that word fervent literally means it means living fervor. This is number twenty two oh four in the Strong's Concordance. For those of you who care to know, living fervor, fiery hot. Full of burning zeal. I love this. It is the opposite of dignified. Come on, y'all know how to do that here in Arkansas. How many of y'all know how to act dignified? Are there any dignified people in here? Anybody know how to act dignified? Okay. Come on, this is Arkansas. Nobody's dignified. You know how to act dignified? Okay. It's exactly the opposite of that. Exactly the opposite. You say, what's dignified? Well, that's when you sit there. And you just observe and you think about it. And you maybe smile a little bit about it. But you keep your cool, you understand? No dry cleaning necessary. You sit there. But uh, when you say, what's the, what's the opposite of dignified? He said, it's the opposite of dignified, cold, and unemotional. Then he tells you, in a Christian context, it signifies a high spiritual temperature inflamed by the Holy Spirit. Now, we have a friend, actually Mark Hankins' older brother, Mike Hankins, and uh, we've been friends for a long time. He actually, we invited him to go to France. We did a minister's conference in Russia just a little over, I don't know, three weeks ago or so, something like that, and had uh, the first Western Russian minister's conference. Uh, Rick Renner was there, and he had Tony Cook, Rick Renner, and Shekinah Glory. You guys don't know Tony Cook. He's the, he used to be the dean of Raymond Bible Training Center, and he's very straight. But you know, it's, ama- it's amazing how people get when they get a little hot in the fire of the Holy Ghost. We had a great time. I mean, we hooked up no problem. I'm telling you because we want one thing. Yeah. We want the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God to come together. Yes. 
and we just had a great time. But anyway, we were just there, and then we were we were on our way to France for another ministers' conference. About a hundred, or maybe a little bit more than that, ministers from all over the French-speaking countries come together to just get stirred up with the Word of God and the truth. And I forget why I was telling you that. Why was I telling him about that? Said Mike Hankins. Oh, Mike Hankins. He was there with us at the France uh, ministers' conference. And he got up and he said, you know, he's he's a graduate of Oral Roberts University and he's a, you know, he's not as much of a Greek scholar as he thinks he is, but he is more than I am. Ooh, and, I hope uh, he gets this day. I hope he gets this day. He's very, you know, he's had some higher education. You understand what I'm saying? And so uh, he uh, he was uh, sitting in this service where the Holy Ghost was moving, man. I mean, people were rolling and laughing and all kinds of things you can't explain. If the only thing you ever get out of a service, if the only things you ever enter into are the things you understand, you're going to miss the best part. I'm just telling you right now because I'm telling you God is God all by himself and he doesn't need your permission. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they were rolling and they were laughing and just enjoying the presence of God. And he said, uh, you know, his wife is, it was sitting beside him and, and uh, he, was, he was just watching everything. And so she kind of punched him and said, oh, Mike, why don't you just, he was looking in his Greek concordance, you know. And he said, she said, oh, Mike, why? he always carried his little Greek concordance with him no matter where he went. So when somebody was preaching, he could look up whatever word they were preaching on, see what it meant in the Greek. And so, uh, so he was had his Greek accord. She said, "Oh, Mike, why don't you just put that thing up and yield to the Holy Spirit?" So he said, "I thought to myself, hmm, yield. I wonder what that means." <laughs> True story. He said. So he got his little Greek concords, and the only place he could think of where the word "yield" was used is Romans six, where it says, "As you once yielded your members instruments of righteousness, so now yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God." So he looked up the word "yield" there, and he looked up the word "yield." The word "yield," the definition was, "As a soldier comes and reports to his commanding officer for duty, so yield." Now, I don't know if you understand what that means or not. My dad was in the Air Force. And all I can tell you is, when a commanding officer tells you to do something, you don't ask him to explain why. <laughs> Y'all know about this? You don't ask him to say, could you please define that activity a little further? All you need is a command. And if the, your commanding officer tells you to do it, that means if he tells you to go run around the barracks nine times and you've already done it 39, you do it nine more. You don't say, I'm tired, I don't feel like it. No excuse is, uh, uh, no excuse, there is no excuse. All that's necessary is your obedience. And that's exactly what the word yield means. And he said he saw that and he closed his Greek concordance and he put it on the pew and he got up and he started rejoicing and laughing with everybody else. He said, I just decided to yield. And he has never carried that Greek concordance to one service since. Now, we're not against, you know, higher education, but I'm telling you, education without uh, dedication to the Spirit of God is pretty useless. You understand what I'm saying? Useless. So tonight, I don't know what it is that the devil's been troubling you with, but I do know that what God has done for you is bigger than anything the oh devil's done. God. And tonight, ever don't miss an opportunity to rejoice over the good things of God because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His hand of mercy is stretched out to you this day. It's a hand to help you in time of need. And I'm telling you, this church is going somewhere. Oh, it is. And it, you, I it don't is. know where it is, oh, but I can tell you, this. The only way you're going to get yeah. there is by faith. 
You know, when I was uh, when I was watching the praise singers and you know just the atmosphere of the church, and I came in this morning and tonight, and uh, knowing your pastors, and I tell you, it was Dad Hagen's dream that churches like this would be everywhere. And it was his desire to be able to come to visit all those churches. And I thought, oh, he'd be so proud of you guys, and he is. But I thought even more than that, Jesus has come to visit this church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In fact, I tell you, it's... I thought of something I forgot. Hallelujah. (laughs) He'd be proud. Yes, he would. All these places are cropping up all over the world just in time. Yeah, right. So we can hasten the coming of the king. That's right. Amen. Everybody praising and rejoicing and lifting their voice and and shouting and, 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 and honor together in one accord. No one wondered if somebody's looking at them. Nobody cares anymore. All we want is we're hungry for God's presence. And I leaned over and I whispered into Lois's ear tonight during praise. And I said, there's going to be some miracles here tonight. It's a miracle charged yes, church. Yes, it is. It's a miracle charged evening. There's going to be some miracles taking Hallelujah. place tonight. You just be one of them. Just enter in. So how do I do that? Enter in. Enter in. Enter in. He's already working on the spine, on the base of the neck, and going down the spine. He's working on somebody's left, left kidney. He's just, I tell you, he's already working, working, working. Miracles here tonight. Ha, ha, ha. We're just so blessed to be a part. I was thinking of this song. I don't know if if that's my key. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not, Thy compassions, they fail not. Great is Thy faithfulness. I'm going to read you a scripture out of Habakkuk chapter 2. Uh, I've been, this scripture has kind of just been, I've been stuck on this for a few days, a few days, few weeks, but I just want to read it to you and you just listen to it. Habakkuk, he said in chapter two, I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So when he says something to you, he comes to make a correction, but he gives you the, the answer to something that you're needing to know. And you, you answer him. You know, I like what B.B. Hankins always said. He doesn't mean an excuse either. <laughs> He's not looking for an excuse. He's looking for someone. You say, well, what's he looking for? Well, let's listen. Listen on and you'll find out. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Make it plain on the tablets that he may run who reads it. I like that. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. If it seems slow, one translation says, wait for it. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. 
Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. He's talking about the person who says, well, I just don't think I want to put up with this anymore. But he says, but you say, what's the answer you want to give when the Lord gives, begins to show you a vision? The just shall live by faith. You know, these words were really the words that started the Reformation. It literally sparked the changing of not just someone's life, but a whole generation. And changed the course of the church and what was going to happen, the possibilities of what would happen. Because somebody read these words, the just shall live by faith. More than one major reformation has been sparked by these words. Don't you think it's interesting? He's talking about something coming to pass. He's talking about someone who, you know, although it may be delayed, you cannot be denied. If you live by faith, the just shall live by faith. And he says, the vision is for an appointed time. That tells me if you miss your time, you'll miss your vision. If you miss the time, you'll miss the vision because the vision is for an appointed time. So if you don't understand the time, you won't understand the vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says it like this, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision. So the condition of someone who doesn't understand their time is that they don't have a vision. And if they don't have a vision, it says, Proverbs 29, 18 says, without a vision, people perish. One translation says, without a vision, people are uncontrolled. I like that translation. Another one says, without a vision, people cast off restraint. The Message Bible said, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. So he's literally saying that without a vision, uh, I think it's the Amplified Bible says, God's redemptive revelation. No revelation of redemption. He said people, they, they don't have anything that holds their life on a course. Do you understand? Anything can shape them. Anything can move them. I mean, we live in a day when such perverse uh, uh, activities and, and habits are considered or trying to be considered normal. And if you have nothing from heaven in your life, you'll be easy to pull one way and the other. And you'll end up, you'll end up not on a course, but your life will be set on a course by, uh, by hell instead of being set on the course of God. And so he's trying to get you on a course here. In other words, he's trying to give you uh, the, the def- he's trying to define your existence. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know if it's ever bothered you why you're here and, and, you know, what am I doing and who am I and what can I do? Where am I going and how do I get there and what do I do when I get there? But I'm telling you, there is a vision from God that comes out of the heart of God for your time. It's connected to when you are alive. Do you understand? It's not just, I mean, God doesn't just do things by accident. Let's just put it this way. If you do the will of God, it's not going to be by accident. You don't do the will of God by accident. You do it because you get on a course with a vision and a purpose that comes from heaven that you know you cannot be stopped by what this world's doing, but what's in you will stop what's in this world. And so in in Ecclesiastes, he says it like this, 3 verse 1, he says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. So what I'm trying to get you to see here is that time and purpose, time and vision are related. If you don't understand why you are living, when you are living, you will never be able 
to do. It's kind of like any anytime. It doesn't matter what you're what you're uh, trying to figure out in your life. There's always three essential things you need to understand in order to get on the right course and to make the corrections that are necessary to do what God wants you to do. Now, every vision, whether it's for your marriage, for your personal life, for your for your uh, for your job, you know, whatever. It always uh, 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 there are three things you have to understand. You have to understand number one where you are right now. You have to understand, number two, where does God want me to be? And number three, what will it take to get there? Number one, where am I right now? And I want to help you just a little bit on this number one place. You understand? Because if you don't know where you are, you ain't going to ever figure out how you need to get somewhere else. I mean, you know, it's kind of like when you go to the mall and you look at the directory to try to figure out, you know, I, I go, you know, every occasionally to malls and I, you know, look for a certain store, usually a yogurt store. <laughs> and so I'm looking, you know, for a soft serve yogurt and I look on there and I'm looking for the yogurt store, but I walk in, you know, by the Sears. And so I'm looking there. And so the first thing I look for, what's the first thing I'm going to look for if I want to find out where the yogurt store is? I got to find out where I'm at. I'm never going to get anywhere else if I don't know where I'm at. And so what I usually, there's a little red dot or a little red X on that map, and it'll say, you are here. And so I look at that little red X, and when I see where I'm at in that little red X, and the yogurt store is there, then I figure out how I need to go right down this corridor and down this corridor on the left side, lower level. There's the yogurt store. I'm on the upper side, top level, left side, so I know exactly how I need to go to get where I want to get. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm talking to you about having a vision from heaven in your life that grabs a hold of you and gives you a purpose that I'm telling you right now. I like to tell people this. Whatever you spend your time doing, you pay for with your life. Some people are so concerned with how they spend every nickel, every penny. But let me tell you something. The biggest concern you ever have in your life is not where you put your little, you know, Benjamin Franklin's, but where you put yourself. Because that's the biggest price you're ever going to pay. What you spend your time doing, you pay for with your life. So don't you think it's important for you to understand, you know, what time is it? (laughs) Don't you think you want to know, you know why you call it a lifetime? Because there are certain things that can only be done in your life during this time. There's certain things that God has got in store for you that he has hid from all other generations. And now you are alive in the timing of God. In fact, let me read you a couple of scripts. Well, let me read you just this one. In Acts chapter 17. Turn over to Acts chapter 17 real real quickly here. Um, I want you to see just a couple things here about why you are where you are. You know, I don't know about you, but... I don't like to let, you know, let's just put it this way. You can never make the right choice with the wrong information. Never. You will never make the right choice with the wrong information. So if you want to understand what you're to do and how you're to do it with your life, I would advise you to go to the one who made you. Because the one who made you is the one who can show you why you're here. And, and so in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, when uh, uh, Paul is actually on Athens, in Athens at Mars Hill. Hill, boy, I sound like a southerner. Hill. There's only one syllable in hill. Hill. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't take long, does it? 
Oh, glory to God, my parents are from Tennessee, so it doesn't take long. I'm telling you, every time I go home for Christmas, I come back going, well, I'm so glad I'm here. Can I have some orange juice? Oh. <laughs> Uh, Acts chapter 17. Now, Paul is talking to a lot of people who don't know God, don't understand anything about God. They've got all these different idols, and they're trying to figure out what to do with their life. Who, you know, they think, well, we probably, they got all these idols, but they still feel like they must be somebody, you know, even though they got all these idols, they still feel like they haven't made contact with the real and living God. You know what I mean? So they got this idol set up to the unknown God. So that's the one, you know, like in case, you know, he ever shows up and there's no idol for him. They can say, oh, we got one for you right there. We just didn't know who you were. That one's for you. That's the way they thought. Now you may think that is ridiculous. That's the way people think who try to determine the plan for their life without understanding the one who made their life. It's crazy. I'm telling you. And so uh, Paul is preaching to him, and he starts talking to him about the God who made all things. He doesn't need them. He said, I'm not talking to you about the God who needs something. You know, I always tell people this. You can either worship something that, uh, you know, made with your hands, or you can worship the one who made your hands. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I got something pretty, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm living for my, uh, you know, whatever it is that you think is so cool that you can do. I'm living for my car. I'm living for my, you know, all, all kinds of things people live for that they made with their hands. But, you know, how about worshiping the one who made your hands? And so he starts talking to him about that God. And he starts telling him this in one point that he brings out about the God of all, the God who made the world and everything in it, Lord of heaven and earth. He says in verse 26 of Acts chapter 17, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined, now get this, their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now, what's he telling them? He said, it is no accident that you are alive. When you are alive, God determines your pre-appointed. You know what pre-appointed means? It means God has set out a plan. He has, God doesn't, uh, God's foreknowledge is based, or, or, or let me say it this way. God's plan for your life is based on foreknowledge. He predetermined a plan for you because he knew before you knew when you would be living, where you would be living, but he doesn't make the choice for you. He just knows things that you don't know, and that's why he can be involved in your future before you ever get there. And so now he says, God has pre-appointed your time and the boundary of your dwelling. You know what that tells me? You may have been a surprise to everybody on the block. You may have been a surprise to your mama. You may have been a surprise to your daddy. But you were no surprise to God. I'm telling you right now. I don't know if you know. Have you ever wondered why I'm living in, you know, Arkansas in the United States? Why wasn't I born in Iraq? Why wasn't I born in, you know, the 17th century? Why wasn't I born, you know, in, in Iran? Why am I in the United States of America? God has determined your pre-appointed time 
and the boundaries of your dwellings. He says, of the people who dwell on all the face of the earth, wherever you're living, wherever you are, God's determined the place that you're living. And let me tell you something. He didn't just put you there just so you could pay off your Toyota. Your time and the boundaries of your dwelling is in the hand and the purpose of God Almighty. And let me tell you something. God's got a plan that the devil can't stop. So now I want you to see this real quickly here. Because I want you to understand, I want you to understand your time here. You see, there are seven different dispensations in the Bible. Seven. There are five in the Old Testament. And when Jesus was uh, crucified and died and born uh, and raised, you know, Jesus was the first man to be born again. He wasn't the last one. He got, I mean, he literally became a man, flesh and blood, but God in the flesh and died. And David Ingalls got a song. I heard it the other day. It made me think of that. Jesus was the first man to be born again. He got born again, the first born from the dead. And here we are, all the ones that follow in his gracious plan. But anyway, uh, uh, I heard that David Ingalls song. Sorry, I got myself off. But so there are, there are five, five different times or dispensations in the old testament five and i want to give them to you real quickly here because i want you to understand the key to the plan of god opening up in your life is you understanding your time in the old testament don't try to live in a time that you're not a part of don't you know you study those times but those times are examples for us so that we will live by faith there are seven different times or five different times in the Old Testament. Number one, it starts in the age of innocence, which was when the creation of Adam and Eve. I want you to notice something about him. Creation where Adam and Eve was created, it ended with the fall. The second time or dispensation is a time of conscience, which ended with the flood. The time, you know, Noah and the flood. And then there was the time, number three, of human government. This ended with the Tower of Babel. And then there was number four, the time of the promise, which ended with Egyptian captivity, being in servants to the Egyptian Pharaoh. And then the fifth time or dispensation, which is the time that ended on the day of Pentecost, is the dispensation or the time of the law, which was uh, Moses was the one who had the... uh, commission from heaven and and during this time uh uh, during these different times these different these five different dispensations which jesus when he came and walked on this earth that we were still in the time of the law in all these different ways it says in hebrews 1 1 god spoke to us in past times through various and different ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son now i want you to see something there's five different times he's talked about here five different times each Each one of those times, God revealed himself in different ways. He revealed himself during uh, the age of innocence as he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, in the flood with Noah. He did it with, uh, you know, with Enoch, the prophet, uh, by the fire by night and the cloud by day. In different ways, God revealed himself to people. But if you read about Hebrews chapter 11, all the different times that God revealed himself in different ways, you'll notice no matter how God revealed himself, man's response to God was always the same. You know what it was? By faith. It didn't matter what time it was. By faith, uh, 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 you know, uh, was it Abel offered a better sacrifice? Who was that? Cain and Abel? He offered the better sacrifice? Is that the one? So what'd you say? (laughs) You're infallible. (laughs) 
Abel offered a better sacrifice to God than Cain. So he did that how? By faith. By faith, Enoch was taken when he did not see death. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham. I want you to notice those are all during different times, different dispensations. But it didn't matter what time it was. Each one of those people approached God, fulfilled the plan of God the same way. What was it? By faith. Now, Jesus died. He, ro- he arose from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And on the day of Pentecost, a new day began. A day which we know, according to the word of God, is called in Ephesians 3, the dispensation of the grace of God, which is uh, uh, revealed and expressed through the functioning of the church. Do you understand that? This is not the age of Aquarius. This is the church age. This is not the age of Aquarius. Do not let anybody define your life, define the borders of your life, define the timing of your life, but God. Now, I want you to see this now. Because in different ways, in different times, God has worked in different ways, you know, in, the, in five different times and dispensations up until now. But now Jesus died and rose again. And when he did, he started a new time. The age, the dispensation of grace, which is revealed through the functioning of the church. That's what Ephesians 3, 1 through 10 is all about. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to see this now. Because listen, listen, the devil does not want you to understand your time. If he can keep you from your time, he can keep you from your purpose. Now, look at this in Ephesians chapter 1 real quickly here. It's kind of, I have to try to move fast because my friend doesn't. Ephesians chapter 1 here. Real quickly, in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I want you to see this. Now, Ephesians is the book that most clearly defines your time. It shows you who you are better than any book in the New Testament. It it defines the functioning and the characteristics of the church in a way that no other epistle does. And I want to show you one thing about the church, which is the defines your time as a Christian. Can I show you this? Because if you can see this, I don't know what God's called you to do, but I do know if you can see this, it'll help you understand it much better. You'll get that red dot on the map, and then not only will you see where you are, but you'll begin to see where God wants you to go. You understand this is about progress. This is not about just obtaining or maintaining. This is about progressing. You understand? God does not just inspire you. He enables you. He calls you so that by faith you can do something in your time that will release the plan and purpose of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So in Ephesians chapter 1, real quickly here, I told you this morning, 1 through 13 or 14 is is one sentence in the Greek. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through, I think it was 14, but I don't have those notes out here right now, so I'll have to correct myself maybe later. I am possibly fallible. And so it says here in Ephesians chapter 1, Chapter, I want to read this to you very quickly now. In ch- uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 
15, he says, now, therefore, because I'm telling you about the plan of God, you understand in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through through uh, 14, he tells us about the plan that is in God, that he's blessed us, he chose us, he predestined us in verse 5, he made us accepted in verse 6, we have redemption through his blood in verse 7, he has abounded toward us in wisdom and prudence in verse 8, he made known to us the mystery of his will in verse 9, that we are a part of the, the purpose and plan of God and that we have obtained an inheritance in verse 11. I mean, it just keeps going. All of this that God has in his plan has prepared for this time for you and I to live in. You understand? And then he says in verse uh, 15, he said, now I, I, I've heard of your faith and I do not cease to thank you, make mention of you in my prayer. Verse 17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now he's praying, praying for you to see this plan that is in Christ Jesus. He's not praying for God to do something for you. He's praying for you to see something God's already done. Do you understand this? So go on here real quickly. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened so you may know. So he's really praying now for you to see the red X on the map so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the, in the saints. Now he's talking about seeing this place, seeing that red X, seeing that spot that says, this is my place. This is what God has done for me in Christ. This is what was accomplished in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I see where I'm at. Now, where do you want me to go from here? And how do I get there? He's talking about that now. He says, you know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the hope of his calling, and verse 19, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ. Now, he's talking about progressing here. He's talking about seeing your place in the plan of God and understanding the hope of his calling. This is God's plan, you understand? His calling. It's one thing to find out what you like. It's another thing to find out what God made you for. That's what he's talking about, the hope of his calling. What did God place me here for? He pre-appointed my time, the boundaries of my dwellings. What is the, 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 the purpose that has taken hold of my life because of God's plan in Christ Jesus that has been accomplished and fulfilled through what he did on the cross? He says the hope of his calling, the, the, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's his stuff, you understand. The glory, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. That's God's stuff that enables you to do what he wants you to do. And then he says, and what is the exceeding riches of his, uh, the greatness of his uh, power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. One point here, I got one point, I'm getting to it. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, Every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Now, I want to stop there just a second because I got to breathe. <laughs> no, I want to stop there just a second. I want you to see something here. 
He's talking about Jesus. What was accomplished it, by Jesus Christ, the plan of God that was released through what Jesus Christ did. And he said, let me tell you, let me help you understand this plan. He said, the power that worked in him that was toward you who believe. He said, this power is far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He says, there is no power, no place, no rule, no authority that is over what God has done. What God has done in Jesus Christ is over all of them. Do you understand that? Y'all following that? He said, one name, one plan. God had the plan. Jesus did the plan. And he says, now I want to show you how to display the plan in your lifetime, in your, in your, the red dot on your map. Do you understand what I'm saying? He says, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and raised him from the dead. And he said, and he's given him a name above every name, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now look at verse 22. And he put all things under his feet. Now listen. He's, getting, he's just trying to get you to understand. There is nothing more important, more supreme, more greater, uh, stronger than what God has done in Christ. You get that? He has put all things under his feet. And now he doesn't stop there. So I can't stop there. You understand? I just can't because he didn't. And gave him to be the head over all things. Now he's the head. That means top place. You understand? He is the head over all things to the church. Oh, he's hooking up with your red dot, isn't he? He's hooking up with your time zone. He's hooking up with your place. He's hooking up with who you are. He said he's given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Fills all in all. Now, I want you to get this now. I want you to see this now. Because when God is looking at our generation, he is not looking at what the world's doing. I'm telling you, the most important thing in our generation is not what the world's doing. It's not about what the world's doing. It's about what the church is doing. Listen. He's trying to get us to see that right here. He's trying to get us to understand the plan of God that's accomplished in Jesus Christ. He said, let me tell you now. He put all things under his feet. He gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him fills all in all. You know what he's saying? He is hooking up the plan of God with the church on this earth today. He is hooking up. The authority and rule of heaven. Listen, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they lost, the Bible says that they lost the glory of God. They, they, they lost the very plan that God had, had designed them for. And, and, you know, they did lose the, the, the glorious presence of God. But listen, although they lost God's power, God did not lose his power. Do you understand? They lost the authority to release God's power on this earth. Isn't that what happened? 
God didn't lose his power, but he did lose his place of authority. So now Jesus comes in his death, burial, and resurrection. And what's the thing he is trying to emphasize here? The exceeding greatness of his power, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Put all things under his feet. Sounds to me like some authority has been restored. Sounds to me like a place has been restored that was destroyed by sin and now it has been conquered once again. Now, who's that place hooked up with? Well, let me see. Let me see. What's he talking about here? At the same breath that he talks about the authority of what Jesus has done and accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, he brings about the church. Listen to this. The Message Bible says it like this. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Now, this is the message Bible way of trying to get you to see the focus of the plan and purpose of God in your generation does not come from what the world's doing. It comes from what the church is doing. Listen, Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of sin. It was destroyed because of a lack of righteousness. Listen to me. It wasn't the sin. It was the lack of righteousness. And I'm telling you today, it's not the sin in our generation. It is what the church is doing concerning the plan of God with the righteous plan of God. And I'm telling you right now, God is not focusing on the world. He's focusing on the church. He loves the world. The reason the church is here is for the world. But I'm telling you right now, you got your eyes on the wrong thing if you're looking at what the world's doing. It's about what is the church doing? Do you see the red dot? Do you see your place in the plan of God? Do you understand that when you see your place, a vision comes from there that brings about a purpose that is described in what Jesus did when he died and rose again. He whipped the devil. He took away sin's power to bind you. He destroyed the power for sickness to rule your life. He did it in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he put that authority in the church so the church could be on this earth to bring about in your generation, a place of great glory, a place, place of great revival, a place of great renewal, a place of strength, a place of heaven, a place of victory on this earth. Woo! I'm telling you right now, he purchased it with his blood and then he hooked you up with it. And then he put you on this earth and he defined the borders of your life and your purpose with a plan from heaven that cannot be stopped by this world. Don't you be stopped by what the world's doing. You say, well, you know, it's real important. I'm not saying it's not important, but listen to me. When Paul the apostle was bringing the gospel throughout all the known world, Nero was king. Now, I don't know if you know what Nero was like, but Nero used to take Christians and dip them in tar and stick them up on a piece of wood and light the night with the Christians' bodies burning so they could build highways. 
I'm telling you right now, it was real serious. He was evil. He was one of the worst kings that ever existed. He hated the church. And he hated the fact that Christians wouldn't worship him as Lord. And I'm telling you, during the time when Nero was king, Paul the apostle took the gospel into all the known world. I'm telling you, it's not about what the world's doing. It's about what the church is doing. We cannot be stopped. There is a light from heaven that shines through our bodies. It shines through our lives. And it causes a revival and a restoration of those things that are necessary for people to live and not die. I don't know what's got a hold of you, but shake it off. I don't know what the world's, I don't know what, I don't know what you've been tainted with. I don't know, maybe you've seen some pornographic stuff on TV. Turn it off and just shake it off and get your eyes on what Jesus is doing. And let me tell you something, what you behold, you will become. And as you look at more of what God has done in Jesus Christ, it will change you and it will reshape you. And you will become a man or a woman on fire and you'll light up your night with the very life of God. Woo, glory to God. I'm about ready to pop. How about you? You guys are too quiet. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, this is a church on fire. We're on fire with a very plan from heaven. This is our day. This is our day. Somebody help Lois shout. Listen. Woo, I about, I don't think I, I'm about ready to, I can shout anybody down in Whoa. here, I believe. I'm telling you, you can't be stopped. I'm telling you, the devil's defeated. I'm telling you, victory reigns in your life. One of the characteristics of the church is it is a place of victory. I don't know what's happening in the world. I am not un... uh, It's not that I don't care. It's that I do care. That's why I focus on the church. Do you understand? Listen. Listen to me. Listen, you say, well, it's not really that important, you know. It's kind of like that story I heard about that guy. Actually, I read it in the Reader's Digest. I've been thinking about this all day, so I'm just going to say it real quick, and we can go home after this. Anyway, I read it. This guy was, he, he, uh, he, he looked out his, his window at night, and he saw these guys breaking in his garage. So he called the police. And he said, you know, there's some guys breaking in my garage. I need you to get somebody over here right now. And they said, are they in the house? And he said, no, they're in my garage. He said, well, they said, lock your doors. We don't have any available police right now, but lock your doors and and we'll get there as soon as we can. Well, about a few minutes later, he calls back. He He calls back. He said, I just want you to know I just shot three guys in my garage. Oh, within five minutes, there was like eight policemen over there. They get over there and they said, we thought we told you to just lock your doors and wait. He said, I thought you told me you didn't have anybody available. I thought to myself, that's the way some people think and they don't understand the church. They think, well, it don't really matter if I go or not. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm just not available tonight. I'm just not available. You understand? I'm just not available. I got some other things I need to do. And you don't understand that it's at this very place and this very plan. I mean, this is where the world turns. You understand? This is it. It's not about what I'm telling you. The most important thing that happens in any city is not in the courthouse and it's not in the clubhouse. It's in the church house. And you say, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm saying sometimes we got to make adjustments. We got to hook up because this is it, baby. This is it. You're not called the church in heaven. Did you know that you're called the family 
You're always called the family. Always one family in heaven and on earth. But it's only during your lifetime that you get the opportunity to function as the church of Jesus Christ. That means this is your day to shine with a victory that was wrought for you by his blood on this earth. This is your day. This is your hour. This is your time zone. This is your red dot. This is your place, honey. You got somewhere to go and you can get there from here. Hallelujah. Woo. Oh, the power of God's at work in you. The glory of God's at work in you. Oh, go ahead and just thank God for the plan. Thank God for the plan. I think we need to thank God a little bit for the plan. Thank God for the plan. Thank God for the plan. Thank God for the plan. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for the plan. Thank God for the plan. Oh, you're playing. the plan. It shall come to pass. It will come to pass. It shall come to pass. The just shall live by faith. Though it tarry, it will not be denied. Oh, it might seem slow, but it's on the way. It's on the way. It's on the way. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, oh, and you'll reach a place where you'll be more conscious of the realm of the spirit than you will even your own mind and emotions and things that are going on around you. There you will come to the place. Oh, as you come into this place, that you'll come into the place where you'll be much more aware of the realm of the spirit. Things that used to bother you, things that used to hang on to you, they won't seem to affect you the same way anymore. Oh! And the glory of the Lord will shine, shine on you, and shine through you. And people will say, What's happened to you? And you can say, Oh, I'm seeing things. I'm seeing something different. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. I'm living a different life. But my life is not my own. We hope you've enjoyed this message by Lois Toucher and Cindy Duvall of Shekinah Glory Ministries. For more information about Shekinah Glory, log on to our website at www.shekinahglory.com. There you'll find our entire catalog of teaching materials, music CDs, and books, all available for online purchase. The website also offers our daily devotional, updates from the road, and our ministry itinerary so you can pray for us as we travel throughout the United States and overseas. You can also join our mailing list in order to receive regular newsletter updates of ongoing ministry projects. Thank you and God bless you for your support of Shekinah Glory Ministries. We couldn't do it without you. Truly, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall fill all the earth. This is Ray Toucher, Speaking for Shekinah Glory Ministries, thank you and God bless you.